Hi, and welcome to Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. In this podcast series, we ask experts in their field for their views, thoughts, and advice on topics ranging from technology and data science to organizational culture and psychology. Roll intro. On today's episode, we'll be looking at the topic of creative thinking in business. Joining Benjamin Ellis is Simon Bird, Director of the Innovation and Creativity Lab. Simon discusses how introducing structured creativity processes into business can tap into creative ideas and solutions that unlock new opportunities. We also explore how creative approaches in business can lead to competitive advantage and long-term success, whilst avoiding the dangers of a low-risk, low-creativity path. Let's dive in. I think you're right when you say about this aversion to failure. If you have that, and that's so embedded in your culture, then nothing will ever change. You'll spend all your time and effort focusing down on the predictability of what you have today and trying to make sure that you adhere to that. And, And the problem is the world changes. So you will be becoming less and less relevant and responsive to your environment. And as we know, that's Darwinianism, isn't it? That means in the end, it's extinction. So I think businesses need to be agile, adaptive. And I think this is one of the best ways that they can do that. Um, and, and as I said, it's, it's all in our existing capability. It's not something you have to farm out. So welcome, Simon. It is great to have you here and a really interesting topic today. Uh, I'm just going to get you to introduce yourself because you will do that way better than me. So for our listeners, who are you and what what, what do you do? <laughs> okay, thank you for having me. I'm Simon Bird and I'm the owner and director of iClub, which is the Innovation and Creativity Lab. Um, it's a consultancy and I help businesses unlock new opportunities for growth. Um, by tapping and harnessing their own capacity for creative thinking. That's what I specialise in. You said the C word lots of times there. Uh, Whenever (laughs) somebody says creativity in business, I think certainly for for me when I was earlier in my career, the people around me would tend to think, uh, oh, no, somebody's going to appear with like crayons and paintbrushes or, oh, it's time to get the marketing department. Um, uh, And so there's a kind of very strange view around creative thinking in, in, in business. So from, from your perspective, what what do we mean when we say creative thinking in, in the business context? Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It's those awful sort of one-day brainstorming days where the most interesting thing that happens is getting to the bar at the end of it, isn't it? But <laughs> That's the, the ones. <laughs> I think creative thinking is a, is a sort of innately human trait. You know, it's the way our brains work. We're presented with problems. Um, and we use this capacity for creative thinking, solving problems, thinking our way through um, all the time. It's just it's just natural to us. And it's very playful when we're young and it's very logical when we're older. And in that process, we, we tend to lose things in, in sort of sticking in the world of, of just judgment and logic. Um, so, yes, there are aspects of creative thinking that involve reaccessing the, the playfulness of youth and, and using that to get at new ideas and new ways of thinking. But fundamentally, it's about an ability to, to think and find solutions to, to problems. And I think it's relevant to business because 
sometimes it can be really hard when you're immersed in your own world and and looking at your business and the day-to-day running of it um, to look at a problem objectively and to recognize ways out of it that don't just rely on what you've done before. Um, You can be sort of blinded, I suppose, by business and normality um, and pressure as well. So if you're you're desperately trying to get out of something, it can be harder to think your way out of it when you're under that kind of pressure. We resist new, even subconsciously, even the most um, sort of forward-thinking people will step back from things that they find difficult or tricky to, to evaluate because we're using our knowledge and experience from before and yet when you're dealing with the future and when you're thinking about what's to come and where you want your business to go you've actually got to try and challenge some of your expectations and your established ways of thinking and i think there's a big tendency to sort of assume that it's not right to have creativity um uh, or every day in the business it could be a bit chaotic um so you leave it to other people you give it to the senior team on an away day as you alluded to with, with pens and things although i will mention pens later but don't don't worry about that colored pens um or leave it to a, a creative agency or you'll um you'll do a, that brainstorming thing or you'll leave it to the marketing team but actually that's ignoring real opportunity because you've got such diversity of opinion and experience in the business, different people doing different jobs and roles, and you can use it um, to bring out all of their ideas quite quickly and quite simply. It, do, it doesn't need to be chaotic if you've got a process around it. And I think the final thing is actually it's a very safe way to start exploring um, change. You don't actually have to commit to anything. You can just sort of play it out in your mind, play it out on paper or in in a room using creative thinking techniques um, so that you can start to see the direction that your business might take and what it might take to get it there. So I think, as you say, when you get into creative thinking and you use those words in business, people instantly think of the colored pens and and take a big step back. But in reality, I think that's a missed opportunity. They should be stepping into it and thinking, how could we use creative thinking in a way that is right for us and and helps us think about the future and the direction we want to take our business in? That is interesting. For for people like me who come from an engineering background, we're kind of educated into very linear thinking for the most part of kind of step by step everything's got to be logical and backed by data and that's the big part of what we do at social optic but people often don't realize what we we do day to day although it's very rooted in data actually we rely on creativity because we have to work out how to communicate what we found how to find solutions to really really hard problems and that linear style of, of thinking can make that really hard because you follow step by step until you get to the brick wall and then you bang your head against it repeatedly yes. um, and and quite often we see people stuck in that that domain and what what gets people stuck like that? And education is kind of one thing. What what blocks that kind of creative thinking in organisations or employees? I think it's um, very often hierarchy. And that's the most obvious one to me in that, you know, you, as soon as you start talking about the future and the direction we want to take, you instantly look upwards in a chain of command. You know, where is the what, what is the boss saying we have to do next? That's their responsibility, not mine. I just come for the, to, to do my job for the day. Um, there are even if you're not in very um, structured or bureaucratic organizations, there are always power 
um, relationships at play in that, yes, you defer to the boss. I think it was some American study said that the most innovative companies out there said that um, they were they were pursuing loads of new ideas, but 97% of people in those studies agreed that, um, that they were all the boss's ideas. They weren't actually ideas that had come through the organization. Um, I think questions of diversity arise that people feel less able to, to contribute in some circumstances. Um, and just the sheer pressure, I alluded a bit to it earlier, um, of time and of delivering and the need to make stuff happen now can get in the way of people actually finding the space to think comfortably. And that increases, that pressure increases when perhaps performance isn't where you want it to be. So those were the, those would be the things that, that I would say get in the way of using creativity um, in, in creative thinking in business on a day-to-day basis. You've reminded me of um, an incident quite a few years ago now, um, being kind of called in by the CEO and said, if we've got a real problem with innovation in the organization, and yeah, we used to be really innovative, and and that's kind of dried up. Um, and my question to the to that CEO is, what what is your attitude to risk of failure? Yeah. I said, well, that's that's very clear. I said, I've, I've really got clear on that in recent years. Like, failure is not acceptable, and we don't take risks. <laughs> <laughs> and that message will filter down into the organisation. Um, and yeah, I get it. You've got to be able. You've got to be financially disciplined about running a business. It's a big responsibility. You've got to deliver um, on those um, promises. But actually, as I said. Earlier, when you get to thinking about the future, you're into a space where you're you're imagining and reimagining what could be or what might be, um, and that's when I think the the use of creative thinking can help. And, and stepping back from this view that risk-free and um, absolute control and hitting the numbers and no failure is going to be counterproductive. It's really interesting that you mentioned planning there, because again, planning and creativity, I think is definitely one of those intersections where people think, oh, well, those those don't go together. I'm trying to manage all these risks and it's a very unpredictable world. And I want to build a nice, solid plan for us to go and execute on. So where talk to me about how, how does the creativity work in the planning domain? Yeah, I think there's a difference between planning and forecasting. So I understand forecasting, and I used to work in in businesses, large multinational FMCG organizations, where I was responsible, as well as planning, for forecasting. So I had to deliver a three-month, actually a 12-month rolling forecast from any point that that we were in. So every month we did this. And the the next three months had to be firm, and the outer months had to be kind not quite best guesses, but reasonable projections of the current run rate. That is what what I think most businesses need to operate securely and successfully, this is quite predictable forecast. What it didn't do was help you when you realized the forecast wasn't going where you wanted it to go or where you needed to um, take some corrective action because you could see further ahead, circumstances might or would change. So that's when I think you need to sort of step away from from forecasting and say, we're not doing this safe, predictable, no failure thing now. We're going to actually look at what's possible and what might be possible and how we want to change things. And I think planning is about a direction of travel. It's not about 
um, in two years' time, we will be six times bigger and have um, this much profit and this many customers and this much market share. Although those are nice indicators of what success might look like, they are not um, the outcomes that you want. I think planning has to start with um, customers, with what needs you're trying to serve, how you're trying to meet those, what will be the challenges in doing that, and how can you think around those, and how you can develop solutions to meet those needs as best you can. So that's where I think the the planning is different when you when you look on that sort of scale. It's a little bit longer, and it's it's about trying to say, well, we need to move in this direction. This is the way we want to go. This is consistent with our values and our our aims. Um, this is going to stand the best opportunity for us to get to the targets we need we need or want to achieve but quite honestly we don't control the future we don't control all those inputs it's there's too much variability going on but at least we know that if we want to go in that direction we can adapt as we go so that's how i would suggest creativity fits and creative thinking fits in that box um, of, of planning for the longer term rather than the forecasting, okay, what's, what are the numbers going to be for the next six months? So there's often a view from business leaders or managers that when you talk about creativity, that it's somehow, it's this very slow process and they want to go really, really, really quickly. <laughs> yeah. How do you tackle that one? Well, the good thing is that um, you put structure around it. I think they're quite right. If you just put people in a room and say, okay, let's get creative. And funnily enough, it can be counterintuitive too, because you can stick people around and say, right, how can we be six times bigger in three years? Right, well, you know, if you're making paper clips, perhaps you perhaps you could make aeroplanes because you, you know, you know how to bend metal. It's kind of the opportunities when you say, how do we just get bigger, really start to become too wide and too vague. So I think it's about putting structure around it. You have to have um, a clear desired outcome that you that you want to achieve and get focused on that and put that as parameters in which which to think so it's not blue sky it's not entirely out of the box i think people have described it as stretching the box so changing the box that you're doing your thinking in so that your perspective shifts and then it's about making sure you're clear about the stages that you're going through and there are stages where you want to go through um, divergent thinking and encourage lots of ideas, but they don't need to last too long. Um, they can actually last a matter of weeks. So in one of the processes I have when I work with clients is we sort of set up what the objectives are. We think about the frameworks and the limitations on that. We do a week of working with as many people as possible to generate ideas. And then we review those ideas. So within three weeks, they have a full set of everything from quick wins right, right the way through to potentially transformational stuff that makes them really nervous. So I think in terms of the, the idea stage, right, literally, right, we're going to think this thing through, you could take, let's, let's be generous, let's say it's a month. And I don't think that's unrealistic for a company looking at it um, and what they want to do. There are further stages then when you explore and you define and you refine those ideas that you've got. And that can take as, as long as a piece of string. You know, you decide what what you're prepared to do and how much investigation you want or need to do in any particular um, with any particular direction that you're considering. But but really, it's about making sure that you marry the 
the process of ideation and thinking about ideas versus the um, the actual delivery of them. You talk about the creative process. We kind of talk about weeks and 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 months. I think it's probably being clear to people that doesn't mean like everyone locked in a room for like a whole month, does it? No, no, no not at all. I mean, I I purposely try with my um, process to to build in some downtime because you need that that ability to, to walk away from what you're doing and think about it subconsciously and come back. So though I say it takes a month, it's not people sitting in one room doing this for a month. Actually, I think the best thing to do is give people some work ahead of time, almost like a bit of homework and say, work on these things. Try and answer this question for me and then bring your ideas out. Usually they need uh, you know, a couple of hours to do that, but we give them a week um, so that they can slot it into their schedules easily. Um, and then it takes um, a day in a room to, to go through stuff for the people who want to, to look at it and consider it. And then I take it away and review it and present it back. And people generally sit down for a couple of hours and, and have a look at the results. So, yes, it, it lasts for um over a period of time, say three weeks to a month, the first phase of, of thinking things through and coming up with your inspiration. But it doesn't take you a month of thinking, if that's um, a fair explanation. Yeah, this was, uh, there's a bit of a do it now sometimes in, in business. And I think it's Amazon has a, f- a phrase, part of their culture is propensity to action. Yeah. And I think sometimes people get confused between the immediate and the fast is kind of a speed velocity thing. And I, I remember a few years ago working with the World Organization, very successful, very high growth, and and working with the leadership team. And it was a it was a long, intense discussion around what they were going to do from a strategic direction point of view. It was very heated, and eventually, um, having explored lots of options, people kind of converged on an option. And the the CEO went, "That's good. Let's write that down." And We'll look at that tomorrow when we slept on it and see what we think. And it was quite revolutionary for me, this idea of like, well, we've made the decision and yeah, we're just going to, we're going to sit on that for a bit and, and see if we still feel the same way in the morning. So this idea of kind of worked time and elapsed time, the fact that your brain does this background processing and people often forget or don't understand that it, you know, it's still doing stuff, even when you're not consciously thinking about something and that, going away from that conversation you're going to notice things differently your thinking will shift as you process that information and that whole idea of like let's just sleep on this and come back to it sometimes unlocks a different solution or something that people miss or you have the confidence to go yeah that's it let's let's go do that we're aligned yeah completely you're right i mean how many times have you heard someone say i had my best idea in the shower this morning or out walking the dog um they've been They've had a problem in their mind for a long period of time, um, and they've found a way to perhaps sort of confront it and come up with ideas. But actually, that that fresh idea has popped into their mind, seemingly from nowhere, at a strange point of time. And actually, it's that process of the subconscious is actually working on it for you. So that that is why I think allowing some time to mull over things is good. But I would also pick up on the point you made about Amazon, which is almost the next phase and comes back to what you said about, you know, does creativity just take a long time and sit around and cause chaos and not actually achieve very much? I think 
um, Amazon are right too, in that in order to become an innovation and actually have an impact in the market, you have to take action. So it is this balance between um, talking about stuff and talking things through and seeing how you feel about them on the one hand, and then committing, deciding, acting, testing out, refining, evaluating, putting it back in, and then reviewing what you've learned. So it's this constant mix between action and thinking um, and provoking those two. So that's the way I, I structure creative thinking is around very clear on what you want to achieve, um, really getting immersed in the actual creative process in short bursts, giving some time between that, and then going off and exploring and coming back and recycling back as you go. So I'm, I'm going to go off on a sidebar here because yeah, go on. <clears throat> there's that thing about the the active process and this this has parallels in the lean and agile world about you know you kind of build the experiments and and create data this is a an interesting parallel lens to that now what what people can't see on the podcast is behind you are loads of really wonderful paintings and i'm just thinking for a moment the first time that i sat and watched an artist and people a lot of people assume that that process is maybe a lot of sitting and thinking, but actually it's an incredibly active, pro there are all these kind of prototype sketches, all these these bits go off. So yeah. I obviously, well, I know you're you're an artist. So <laughs> and how does that, that process work in that domain? And there are, are there are things that we can learn from that to bring back into business? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting parallel. Obviously one that's very close to my heart because I do spend a lot of time doing painting and I'm an abstract painter as well. Um, I think the first thing is this idea that you, I'm a bit thrown by this actually, because I didn't imagine you'd say it. There we are. But this is, a, this is an illustration of exactly the point you want me to make, right? In that I wasn't expecting this, but now I've got to come up with something that, that actually hangs together relatively coherently. So let's call this a sketch, right? <laughs> First phase is you've inspired me to think about that. So I, I'm now going to try and, and do something. But um, my first few efforts at it will be clumsy. And, and I apologize for that. But I think it's fair to say you're not trying to deliver um, a perfect outcome. I'm not trying to get onto the wall of the Tate Gallery with my first attempt at any painting I make. I think it's about trying to develop an idea that you have, an initial inspiration, in such a way that you can explore it and investigate it and find interesting and novel ways of um, uh, of creating that. Right? If you become very committed to, I, it's got to be like, this is what I find when I'm painting, you know, I've got to have this and it's got to be these colours, then somehow the end result isn't quite right. It becomes very tight and predictable and actually look at it and after, you might like it initially, but after a uh, a few days you go that's really boring I'm, I'm not seeing anything in it i don't feel any connection to it i want to burn it that's a typical way it happen but it's a good piece of learning because then you can go back and try it again so this process of constantly going around um, and and working on things and working through things and being active in the process is really important and i think it was picasso i mean he's whether you like the guy um, or not, and you like his work or not, he did know a thing or two about actually creating brilliant, new, exciting 
um, and uh, groundbreaking stuff. And he, his approach was, you know, I don't get inspired. I, I don't sit there and wait for inspiration to, to pop into my head. I get out and I work. And in his quote is, inspiration does exist. It just has to find you working. And I think that's what art can teach business, actually. In the, in the process of doing these things, ideas and thoughts will come up, go out. And as you say, explore them a little bit, test them out. You know, if you think customers are going to buy something new, then why not um, sort of create a rough prototype, even as, as a, a document, you know, that you can hand to a few trusted clients and say, what do you think about this? This is our new idea. We're, we're, we're scoping it at the moment. What inputs have you got? Um, it can all help. Rather than sitting in a room and debating it and having, as you said, these fierce debates about whether it's the right thing to do or not, yes or no, just, just go out and make it live and, and see how people react and how you feel about it. So I think that is, um, that is what art's taught me. It's also about being open-ended and working with ambiguity, but I'll talk for hours about that. You don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to which some people find very hard. And, you know, some people will say, why are we doing this? And, uh, you know, what's the point? And actually, the point is to not have a point at, at certain moments and to be prepared to say, this might not succeed. We might fail. This might be wrong. Um, but we will learn something and we'll move on for that and we'll do the next thing. So I think it's a, it's a mindset more than anything else, rather than any, any sort of practical, you know, if you, if you hold the brush this way, your business will be better. It's not that literal. But the mindset, I think, is very important. And it, it's interesting. I'm thinking actually about NASA and the, you know, the whole mission of put a man on the moon. And the other phrase that people, if you say NASA, that comes into the head is like, failure is not an option. Yeah. And it's really interesting. If you look at the moon landing program, it was all about failure. They didn't say, they didn't start with, Oh, okay, they did start with, we're going to put somebody on the moon. But actually, the way that they got to that was to say, that's not what we're going to try and start with. First of all, we're going to do an experiment of, like, can we get something off the ground? Can we get yeah. something off the ground without it blowing up? Can we get something off the ground and get it into the atmosphere? Can we get it off the ground, into the atmosphere with a living thing in it and get that thing back safely? Yeah, it was these small steps of controlled failure and putting failure in a safe place. And oftentimes businesses in trying to avoid failure actually put themselves in a place where they're really, really likely to fail because that failure is going to happen somewhere it matters as opposed to letting that failure happen somewhere where it's safe and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I, ironically, if your culture doesn't allow those little failures <laughs> yes. and, and causes people to hide failure what you end up with is really really big failures uh, and you know we've seen a few of those in in different industries um you know the the boeing story um yeah, it's, it's kind of been doing the rounds again recently and you know the whole we've, we've made a small mistake here and a small change to a piece of software and this probably requires some training these sorts of things and how these things gradually get more and more buried as opposed to somebody early in the process saying we're going to try a few different things here actually we've done this wrong let's do it differently yeah. is actually a, a much lower risk of of failure and i think yeah there definitely seems to be a lot to learn from art if you're going to use a really big canvas and put a lot of time into something that's not the point that the artist chooses to fail you choose to fail at that early sketch process 
Yes, yeah, and and honestly, you can fail at the (laughs) (laughs) as well. But yes, or at least I can because I'm not that professional an artist. But yes, it's uh, it's a good process that you you learn your way into it and you build your confidence and your understanding as you go and you develop to to an outcome that may not be exactly what you thought you were going to do in the end, but it might be better. It might be, um, you know, four times better than you ever imagined because of what you've learned in the process of getting there. Yeah, and again, I think this the business world is littered with stories of a bit of failure and a bit of creative thinking turning into a really, really big business success. So a lot of people forget that things like, you know, PayPal was pretty much an accident. If you if you listen yeah. to the story of the founders, they they built this app and it didn't really work out the way that they thought and then there was all these other transactions going off in some weird site they didn't know about that was like you know sending these collectible things and in in realizing the mistake embracing it and saying well hey maybe we can do this different thing that was how paypal found ebay and the whole thing became what it was it you know it was in in essence an accident in, with a bit of creative thinking embraced around that. And again, obviously that's not what, what business leaders want to do as, as plan A, but it's it's that thing of if you get into a really tight spot, you're probably not going to logically get your way out of that. Yeah. Um, and again, and I, think, I think you're right when you say about this aversion to failure. If you have that, and that's so embedded in your culture, then nothing will ever change. You'll, you'll spend all your time and effort focusing down on the predictability of what you have today and trying to make sure that you adhere to that. And, and the problem is the world changes. So you will be becoming less and less relevant and responsive to your environment. And as we know, that's Darwinianism, isn't it? That means in the end, it's extinction. So I think businesses need to be agile, adaptive. And I think this is one of the best ways that they can do that. Um, and and as I said, it's it's all in our existing capability. It's not something you have to farm out. You you know, um, in your own mind, the the solutions that just need to be drawn out of you, and and you need to step out of the of the constraints of your existing thinking, which is, which are easy to get into because that's the way business is. It demands that you're you're focused and you're clear on what you're doing now and the numbers and all the rest of it. But actually, there are times when you have to step out of that and come back in again and then recycle. So this process that you're describing, I think, is absolutely fundamental to sustaining business success long term. It's a really interesting concept. I mean, you you are going to have failure. It's just choosing where that happens. And I you know, think yes. about some of the organizations we work with here. You don't want the moment of failure to be when the surgeon is in the operating theater <laughs> operating on a patient. Um, but you you can't drop them into that situation day one and expect that they they are going to be a, a highly performing surgeon. There are there's steps to get there, which actually involve feigning lots of times and, yeah. and practicing it on things and practicing the stitching and in environments where it doesn't matter if you get it wrong and practicing doing the stitching without looking. You don't do that stuff in the in the theatre, but yeah. you do do things where you can make mistakes, you can fail and have that opportunity to learn so that when you get to the moment where it's really important, you don't. Again, think about pilots. Um, you know, they get dragged back into the flight simulator every few months. And the, and the reason is they get put in an environment where um, 
you know, they they can fail and yeah. and deal with it. Um, so that when the moment comes where you really don't want that failure to happen in the flight, they've drilled that thing. They know actually, yeah, like the common mistake here is to do this thing. So I'm going to do this other thing instead because I've drilled that even before I've got into the flight simulator. I've kind of practiced that thing through and got the failure modes out so that I don't don't do that yeah. thing again. Um, but it's it's a hard hard thing to create those spaces where people can experiment and fail and you know maybe that comes back to the the creativity thing or where where is the best place for businesses to start that they're kind of like okay we realize we need more creative thinking in in the business what where do you start environmentally or process wise with that as an organization to get those those artistic techniques in yeah i th i think it's as easy as as having some time and some people come together to do it and this capacity to accept a degree of failure that it might feel very awkward it might feel very pointless it might feel that the timing's all wrong it might feel that you're starting to ask questions about the business for five years from now but the people in the room are still worried about what's going to happen thursday week so that's fine but it's about making that commitment and saying we don't quite know where this is going to lead yet but i'm going to step i'm going to step into this so i think from a business's point of view the first thing they need to do to make this happen is say yeah i want i want to try so that is it what i think they'll get out of it is more than they ever imagined you'll get everything from uh, quick wins coming out if you do it well you will see things that you can actually apply to your business today that will have a positive impact um, and and keep you i say will keep you in the game that's why i call them quick wins they're probably things that your competition are coming up with they're probably things that people in your organization have spotted in your processes or the way you deal with your customers that you could change quickly um, and to a positive effect. And they're no-brainers. When you see them and you're presented with them as a team, you'll go, you know what, we should do that tomorrow. So that's good. You'll get stuff that clearly doesn't fit um, and you don't think will have a lot of impact. So you can say, well, to be honest, I don't think that um, they're, they're even worth considering right now. And then you'll get another set, which are things that you love and think are brilliant and like your your example earlier on that's the stuff you should really park and think about and say why do we think this is good because it could be we're just reinforcing existing thinking and there'll be stuff that you think is really dangerous and you're not sure about and that's the stuff that could be really beneficial it's almost counterintuitive you have to do it the other way around you know the stuff that you're comfortable with you have to say mm -mm, we've got to we've got to try and disprove this right um and the stuff that you're uncomfortable with you've got to try out and prove and say well if it did happen if it was correct what what would we do next so i don't think it's i don't think it's a hard process as i suggested earlier the way i try and set it up is it it runs over uh a month i think we, we we landed on a month didn't we and i said that it is probably only three interventions in that period you'll be your mind will be in the game but you won't be spending all your time doing it and the way that i think those interactions happen best is through and this is where the colored pens come out i told you they would didn't i you did, you the <laughs> but this is where it gets people say well why are you doing that but actually Drawing and art is a great way of communicating. It is so direct. It is so easy 
for everybody to do it. Now, I'm not asking them to recreate Sistine Chapel with felt-tip pens, but there is something about working with big, chunky pens on huge bits of paper that, um, with stick drawings that is leveling. It just gets everybody to the same sort of basic competence. And it also gets people communicating and expressing their thoughts in much clearer ways because it forces you to, to just sort of say, right, I've got, to get, I've got to get this idea across to someone on a piece of paper using a stick man and a, a drawing of a tractor, for instance. I don't know. I'm just coming up with some daft ideas. Um, but it's completely immersive and fun. And actually, by being immersive and fun, you then directly tap into the subconscious as well. So there is something here about not using words and sitting in a room and looking at data that gets people active. It's back to Picasso saying, you know, inspiration will come. You've just got to be working at it. What he didn't say was working at it in this, in this kind of way, a sort of hands-on, direct, active, playful way. And that's what I think it does. It triggers in us something we've all done as children comfortably. None of us were ever hung up about drawing or painting or playing with mud or doing any of these things when we were little. But um, we kind of go through our education system, get to the point where we think we're no good at art because we can't accurately, in a photographic way, draw an apple, right? So we drop art because we were much better at maths or science or sport or whatever else it comes to mind, geography, history, whatever it might be. So going back to these things and being uh, and using those tools to, to get ideas out fast I think helps that process. And and suddenly people, I, I found in my experience, people really dive into it. And I'm talking directors. I thought when I worked with directors, they would be the worst. You know, I'm not drawing a picture of how I feel my business is. And I'm not playing a game that says this will happen and that will happen. But actually, they're the most committed to it and they love it. And great things come out. And yes, you can get differences of opinion, quite vehement differences of opinion. Because you're discussing pictures that people have made <laughs> people they're not getting hung up on them they're not getting um you know defensive about why they're saying things there, there's a little bit of that but not a lot it's a much easier more dare i use the word democratic let's call it a level environment even playing field where people can discuss these things in a non-threatening way so i think that's where the colour pens and the other stuff comes in um, early on. So to start, I think it's about taking the step and then being bold in the way that you are dealing with the issues, not presenting a paper on the future and sitting down, listening to a presentation and having a discussion. I think that that's the wrong way to go. You know, and I would say, no, actually, if you've only got if you've only got a day to do this stuff, then then do get the pens out. Yeah. It's making me think of lots of things that are we have embedded into how we try and work. So one of the phrases we we have, or two phrases, one which is borrowed, which is create valuable artifacts, which is turning thoughts into things. And the other one is the idea on the page and this observation that when people just talk and it's just words, it's very hard to get convergence to get people to understand the concepts and and rally around them but when you create something on a on a on a page 
suddenly people can get to a shared idea and it's it's amusing sometimes because you look at what's being created and somebody comes into the room fresh it's like there's just lines and circles i i can't even tell what that thing is yeah. but everyone in the room's like yeah no this is it this just captures like you know we've got to do this thing and this is what's important and we realize that we'd assume this thing and it becomes that that artifact becomes the thing that the thoughts park around and reminds people oh yeah actually you know we do agree around this we do have a, a way forwards and it's it's an interesting thing that just doesn't happen when it's just words and just people talking together yeah yeah i think you're right and i i can give some examples where people have drawn their company as um one person drew it as a village it was a very happy village but everybody lived in their own home and never came out <laughs> that was that was how they felt about the business and someone else actually drew it as separate towns in a different country so the the way people somehow drawing gets feelings out and, and enables you to express it and creates an image that, like you say, like an artifact on the page, people remember better. And it becomes an anchor point around which you can then group and you say, actually, we all agree this, right? We might we might argue whether the houses in the village have four windows or five windows or big gardens or small gardens. It doesn't matter. It's the concept of there's something here that we can all agree on um, and we can picture and we can we can then start to address whether we think that's an issue or not. Right. Do we need to rebuild the village or just have a day where everybody comes out and sits in the garden? So those kinds of things can can help you also explore um, the solutions. That shared understanding is so important. It's interesting, the process you describe as well, inherent in that is you know, is mini risk, right? People gonna draw yeah. something and maybe it looks looks ridiculous. Um, but actually people get to fail together and get comfortable with those mini failures and that builds trust and i think that's the other interesting yeah. part of the triangle that we haven't talked about is that actually that creative process tends not to happen where there isn't trust but also where the creative process happens they seem to be high trust environments. And that's something that we see a lot, that these things do go together. Even organizations, you wouldn't think, oh, that's a very creative organization. Actually, in high trust organizations, ideas do seem to spring forward a bit more. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, there seems to be a, a linkage between those two things. Yes, and we alluded to that earlier, didn't we, when we talked about the, the hierarchies, the culture, the... Um, the politics, the power relationships that exist, and particularly for people at the, the lower levels of any hierarchy, this feeling that they're not really empowered to bring ideas forward can all be very, very real factors that, that keep that trust um, contained. But I think you're right. If there is this much broader sense of, of trust across an organization, then ideas do come up and, and this kind of thing happens more spontaneously. Yeah, interesting. So we've come back round to yeah. creative thinking. Really, is has is another linkage with culture. It changes the culture, and you need to set up the culture to enable it to to happen. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that when I really start to get going, I think it's really hard to. I've sat through a few of these in my time presentations where people have said, this is the culture of the company and this is why it's wrong. And this is what we're going to do about it. And they're always programs and they always end up with, you know, 
nice words on walls, I call it. And and those words actually are painful because they're like darts in your flesh because you don't feel that they actually represent what the, the what the culture of the company is. It's just like sort of some sort of strange thought control process. Whereas I think actually taking an action, um, an action together of some sort will help you create a culture and it will be natural because it will be coming from the people who are in that company anyway. So it will be those participants who are making it and culture is what we make. It's not something that is imposed on us. You know, that's just the true of, of humanity in general. Um, it's fluid, it's dynamic, and it, it has this need to have people involved in it for, for it to be a thing. Right. And we only, you and I are of a, a relatively similar age to know how much the British culture has changed in our lifetime. But it's because of that, right? It wasn't something that people set out to create. It's just that it's a dynamic, fluid thing. And it's now a great asset for our time, you could argue. So I think this is this is the the interesting thing about about creativity and the human brain and the way and our condition and how we work and can work better by using these tools. I think that's a great note to leave it on. It's that that it is inherently who we are as creatures. I and mean, you know, we, kids, you know, you watch uh, watch children, and they can be amazingly creative with the simplest of tools. And somewhere along the way, we kind of we we get educated out of that, and so there's a bit of a reverse education process sometimes to educate us back into creating amazing things with with limited tools. Yeah. I like that. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. If you aren't already subscribed, then search for Social Optic Work Together on your favourite podcast service. And if you found it helpful, then don't forget to help others find the podcast by giving it a rating, leaving a review and telling others about the show. You can find more from Social Optic on our website, socialoptic.com, where we also post blogs exploring more of the themes we discuss in the podcasts. You can also get in touch through the chat function there, or drop us an email or give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast was hosted by Benjamin Ellis and produced by me, Chris Trim.